0: what's up and welcome to another episode of black in the maritimes i'm here with entrepreneur uh soul brother philosopher it's pretty cool guy uh babalu I Anu shavas how you doing man
1: uh, doing super wonderful, you know, enjoying my time here. Beautiful Kingston Peninsula, springs in the air, the birds are chirping. So warming up, going to get my hue back. So doing good.
0: So uh, for you who don't know, Babalu is the uh, owner of Black Rose Nation. Uh, and we're going to talk about a little bit about that. But uh, before we go, let's go back because uh, Babalu is, uh, how did, how, before that you had, you have a legal name. So let's talk back to your, to your upbringing, where did you grow up? How how did you get raised?
1: All right, all right. So you know, I'm that maritime story. I myself am 44 years old. So in our whole time frame here, in at least in southern New Brunswick, there's a large population of mixed biracial Koubliites bipox who got adopted out to white folks. So I myself, uh, my brother Jordy, and my cousin Jason, who are not blood related, but uh, black related. All adopted by white folks here in the country of the beautiful Kingston Peninsula. So I'm um, one of the diaspora of the Mayafa, uh, lost out here growing up um, in a nice community, but a little bit of lack of understanding of self just due to demographics, who around and what you see, and uh, grew up in the woods with chainsaws and hunting deer and cutting firewood and. You know, snowboarding and eventually get to high school, and then you have fine metal music. So, when you're a minority, you're an outcast, or you're abandoned, you're fostered, or adopted, or an immigrant, or if you're something and you end up in the Maritimes, if you find the metal scene, you'll find uh, like minded people uh, at a place where you can uh, find your culture. So- and that's
0: a that's a that's a great thing that you're saying, because, I mean, you you grew up in the woods, you grew up in, in, in a very maritime scenario. And and like you, uh, there's other people like I, I interviewed Kalki Dunberg. She's adopted and she, she she lived in Woodstock, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, that's the maritime way, like the woods, the snowboarding, the the, the whole thing. When did you realize that you were a color kid or when did somebody make you think like you were like, a, oh, wait a minute, you're you're from here, but you're kind of not from here. Like, because we all get that at, at, to one point.
1: 100%. So, you know, in, in hindsight, a lot of uh, unfortunate looking back, you, you kind of knew you were with the, uh, you know, the PTSD where you kind of laugh at the things you shouldn't and be involved in the things you shouldn't joke about the things you shouldn't coming up because you didn't know better or you're guilty and you were ashamed so I always knew I was on the wrong side of the tracks let's say (laughs) but what I I really realized it was at 17 years old 17 years old I went to St. John from the country to an upgrading school I had my fluorescent green mohawk you know my, my skater pants and all my change and I was skateboarding And there was a brother who came up to me, and he was from town, and he just kind of looked at me, kind of shook his head a little bit, and he goes, where are you from? And, you know, from then, the brother handed me autobiography of Malcolm X, and I read that every day back and forth on the bus. And from then, it was, what is it? What is knowledge itself? Who am I? What does it mean to be Black? Have I been represented properly? Am I showing up or showing out or showing off? And so 17 is when I found out, but I knew before, but just in that post-traumatic stress slave syndrome kind of way.
0: Wow, that's kind of crazy. So somebody hand you a book of Malcolm X?
1: Oh, man, this was the greatest brother in the world, man, an absolute soldier. He taught me, he's my foundation, brother, foundation. Yeah, so I mean, like, so I was 17, we were at an upgrading school, he gave me that book, and then, you know, you, you, you get revolutionary, right? So when I'm reading that book and asking about what color is Jesus and stuff, was, that brother with me, he, we went right down to the local Catholic bookstore and walked right in and go, what color is Jesus? You know, we were all fired up. And, but the nuns, man, they just look at you all normal like, oh, he's black like you. And I'm all shocked. I'm, you know, I was expecting a big combative whoop, whoop, whoop moment. I'm getting my G on. I'm getting my stripes, you know. And, uh, but, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a great come up. Um, but uh, I'm telling you, having someone who you can look at as an elder with knowledge, with books, it gives you um, a comfort level to find yourself. Whereas before that, it was scared and I was kind of hiding from it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know what? I, I, I agree with you because a lot of uh, there's something called finding your blackness. And I don't know if people like I'm from Latin America and in Latin America, we have a totally different history. But when you're black even if you're surrounded by Black people, uh, you you kind of figure out like, oh, you don't look yourself as Black. But then if there's somebody lighter skin or whiter, automatically the the, the narrative change. And that's when you realize like, wait a minute, like, like, what's going on? And then there's a pivotal moment that you kind of research or somebody like that brother that you said gives you something and you're like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute, this is not, <laughs> there's something here. Like, And then you find out slavery and all that stuff, and you're like, "Whoa, wait a minute! This is this is what comes there." So, so it's kind of amazing, especially in Saint John, that Saint John has the oldest, and they have the oldest Black community in New Brunswick. Correct.
1: And like I said, I'm from the Kingston Peninsula, and the Kingston Peninsula had the largest Black settlement. So we had 25 or 2600 acres in the Black settlement. Now, now, none of them stay. <laughs> they all bounced under Kingston. That's a whole other story. But yeah, the largest the largest Black settlement was uh, in the peninsula where I'm at here now. Hopefully, we're going to get down there um, metal detecting as soon as the spring softens up a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a kind of interesting because you only learned that, like, I only started learning that when I was like, wait a minute, I am something's like when I came to New Brunswick, I'm like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Something, something doesn't uh, add, like, the questions the 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 hesitation or or like the way that things are like i call it sometimes friendly racism that's how i call it like they're like oh like we, we we're cool but like you you're not from here and and we're not going to like we're not the same or like we're not going to put the system in it the and then you start finding out that there's like a history and there's this and there's that and i'm like Oh, <laughs> this this is where it comes from. So um, shout out to the brother that gave you the Malcolm X thing. I mean, that's 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 kind of amazing. What year was this?
1: Uh, 1997. 1997. Oh, wow. Autobiography Malcolm X. First book I ever read on purpose. I mean, I was supposed to read books in school. And, you know, you do the skim thing front and back. But the first book I read on purpose was the Autobiography of Malcolm X. and It's just been books from there. It's books box 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 you know get that foundation
0: so what Uh, did you learn about uh, about him like what 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 was the thing that most impacted you about malcolm x
1: i mean like my wife and it seems down here there's there's quintessential parts in that movie there is the our the book and the movie but um reading and writing out the dictionary word for word when he was in jail and wrote out the dictionary word for word to understand the use of words, word power and what sounds and words mean and how you can use that to your advantage. So that was by far probably one of the strongest points I took from from that. Um a lot of things about the movie and the book that I'd be very skeptical skeptical on now looking back, you know, maybe I'd wave my finger a little at Spike Lee about maybe making things a little too slanted one way or the other. But um the main point was the dictionary, the dictionary and the Bible. He went through the dictionary and found out what the words went and went through he went through the Bible by verse and found out how to articulate it. So I try to adopt that in my life, and you go and get into the word play and to the Bible study. And you, you get good at words and you can talk about the Bible a little bit, at least in the maritimes where I grew up and that gives you instant weight (laughs) in order to
0: have. Uh So, I mean, I I can tell you for me, the, the biggest impact of Malcolm X for me, it's like. The fact that he realized that the, he changed his name from Malcolm X because he joined the, the, the brotherhood and things like that. But how he said, like, I changed my name because that was a slave name. And I, I realized that, like, okay, and then when you look at the history of names, then you realize that the the black history was erased in North America. It was gone. They they didn't they didn't get anything, and they they just renamed them, <laughs> uh, and that's the way you live. And when you think of like somebody like Johnson, Smith, or something, you're like, no, no, that's that was what the slave owner gave you, and it's not really they erased your history completely. <laughs>
1: Yeah. The name thing is big. I only recently changed my name, you know, and trying to get it out there to Babaluai Du Shabazzala. Always wanted to, like yourself, when I got the Malcolm book in the movie, but it's always one of those things you're scared of. Like, at least I was scared of in the Maritimes being outnumbered. It's like, oh, I want to do that, too. But geez, when you're the only one trying to tell people you changed your name. But on that vein, there's a brother from Nova Scotia who now lives in St. John and heads for many years. He changed his name back in the 60s, became a leader of the Black United Front, was a president on there. He ended up going to one of the Savior's Days in Detroit and sat next to him and his daughter sat next to Muhammad Ali at one of the Nation of Islam events, and he changed his name to Hamed Rashid. So that was a brother from St. John who made super powerful moves, who sat next to Muhammad Ali, took his daughter down. And you got to understand, like, in the Nation of Islam for Savior's Day, the women are on this side and the men are on this side. So when Rashid took his daughter down, you know, very young and new, right? you, you go going something brand new. So the daughter does not want to not sit with the dad amongst all these strangers who you have no idea. So in the entire Savior's Day event, the only woman who didn't have to sit over there was this man's daughter who got to sit with her dad in Muhammad Ali. So I was like... Yo, man, there's a brother locally who changed his name, who made some really powerful moves, who's got some stories that are, you know, Spike Lee worthy, really.
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, I I spoke on the chat one with Spike Lee. Uh, very, very cool guy to speak to, but I think he has a lot of stories that he needs to be told. But I mean, we cannot just let it up to him. There's gotta be other people doing, <laughs> doing black that's right, stories. That's right. So, so let's go. So you, you have this book at 17. It changes your perspective. What happens after that?
1: Okay, well, you know, from there, I, yeah, I end up at uh, the Agricultural College in Truro. And I was going back for upgrading, got my upgrading, and then I go to college, went to college. Uh, and then in college, you know, you find your kind of revolutionary voice, so you think you want to. So that led into what can I actually yell about? Um, that's legitimate that I can convince adults that I'm allowed to yell. So Canada voted that water was not a human right. I was at an agricultural college. They said Florida was out of fresh water. California is going to be out of fresh water. They're trying to divert rivers out of Canada into the States. And I'm like, well, water is an issue. Water is the issue. So, you know, Malcolm X got me motivated, went to agriculture, found out what I could yell about locally. That turned into water. So that turned into protesting. So I did some free trade area of the Americas protesting, world trade protesting. Um, got to bounce over to California for a minute. From there, I was trying to get to the international uh, conference on racism in what was that? Durban, South Africa at the time, uh, WKAR. But so, so yeah, so, so then I was, you know, we got the Truro fighting about water, and then I'm like, all right, so now I'm moving around, college guy. Then I want to go to Africa to the United Nations and do my little fight on racism, and then I'm going to go to Hawaii, climb palm trees, live like MacGyver in a houseboat, and I thought that would be the path, but got arrested at one of the protests, couldn't leave the country, indictable offense, didn't do it, of course, you know, one of those things, didn't do it, but got to go through the court process. But from that, got my wife, beautiful four kids, now we're living in the beautiful Kingston Peninsula. So in the roundabout way, it worked out all right.
0: Okay, so activism gave you uh, it gave you kind of your life, like like being an activist got you to to your wife and kids and everything. So hold on, like the that thing was happened in Canada when you got arrested or it happened in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, that one was in Canada in Quebec City. Yeah.
0: Oh wow! Wow, out of all places, Quebec. Wow, <laughs> that is
1: good times. I mean, you know, you know, it was one of those, one of those super great learning experiences, you know, um, everybody should do it. You know, I always say that 18 to 25 year age is kind of like your frontline soldier. So you should be out there finding out what you should be yelling. You're shaking your fist about and getting involved with someone, finding some elders to come up underneath to learn because we really got to have some skin in the game, as they say. Um, and, from Doug giving me that book, Autobiography of Malcolm X, feeling like I actually have to have an impact on the world. Um, find out where you can make that impact, you know, at. It's a good driving force. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. That's that's amazing, man. The the, the fact that uh, that gave you the the courage to to like I, I know you said it like what gave you the yell about, but it, it like it gave you a voice. Like your voice needs to be heard.
1: That's what Malcolm did.
0: That's what Malcolm did. You know, it's okay, on that,
1: on that vein, I was trying to pump up the 1995 movie Panther for the family the other night. Now, in one part of that movie, uh, Eldridge Cleaver, they were in this little meeting and he was like uh, getting everybody to say, F Ronald Reagan. And then everybody chuckles and then everybody says it. But then everybody says it and gets louder and he speaks about how speaking your voice can really free your soul. And... Um, once you get a little bit of knowledge, like in that autobiography, Malcolm X, you get a little knowledge and then you get a little bit of wisdom and that wisdom, those wise words that you can speak. And once you can speak those wise words with a little bit of understanding your culture and, and the freedom that comes from that is, is absolute power. So that's why we're always pushing me and my wife, for well, you know, knowledge itself, self, knowledge itself. self, you get, you get knowledge itself, self, it, it'll help free your voice. And that is powerful. And, freeing especially in the maritimes where it's a lot of times you can feel like you're supposed to be laughing at yourself joking about yourself taking the brunt of the jokes you know all the little microaggressions is we grow up thinking we should take because a lot of time we're outnumbered but i'm here for you and i'm over 40 so you don't have to take it
0: <laughs> yeah I, I think that's what uh, a lot of people don't see especially our our, our white allies or, or white counterparts Is like when you go to microaggressions, it's not big thing, and and for some people, it's just a joke, like you say, like ah ha ha, like oh this ah ha ha. But it's like it accumulates, it it just comes and becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and you're like, wait a minute, if I was white, would I take this? No, probably not. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's the that is the, the part that it's it's kind of a counterproductive when it comes to that. So. Now that you, you found your boys, you found everything, what made that entrepreneurial side of you come? Like, how did that came about?
1: Uh, so along, you know, the same vein, um, Malcolm X will eventually take you to Elijah Muhammad. And then that's going to be a whole understanding on do you or do you not like Elijah Muhammad based on what you do or do not know. And then finding out more about the man. So when I study Malcolm X, you, you find out that he studied a book called 120 Supreme Wisdom Lessons, and then you find out that he was studying um, the economic plan of Elijah Muhammad, and then when you look at the, uh, the economic plans of Elijah Muhammad, or uh, like we mentioned uh, when we are talking earlier of Dr. Claude Anderson with Powernomics, or, or Boyce Watkins, everybody's speaking about reparations, but all the greats are speaking about reparations that you give to yourself, um, self-administered reparations. I mean, obviously we're going after other reparations, but there has to be an aspect of self-administered. So the entrepreneurial sense came from self-administered reparations because you can only complain for so long unless you're going to do some of the work. You don't want to just be an armchair revolutionary, right? So the entrepreneurial sense was like, how can I work in the space? and speak about us and receive tax breaks for it when I drive to that presentation <laughs> or, or 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 when we do that zoom meeting for that school or or the research books that we get or the nature trails we're trying to put in how can we incorporate black culture into learning into business and receive tax breaks for it and once tax breaks become sports uh And self-administered reparations become sport. And then chasing money becomes sport. That is, it's like you're watching the hockey guys about the draft. They know every statistic about every number, about every guy, about everything going on and invigorate you. So the entrepreneur side came from Malcolm X, came from Elijah Muhammad, came from Marcus Garvey, you know, um, brother polite nowadays, but about not be not, not just complaining for someone else to give it to us i felt i'm over 40 if i don't have a business now then am i really that black power leader i'm claiming to be yeah you have to own a business once you reach a certain age or you have to be supporting a business that is fubu <laughs> in some sense of the way <laughs> word
0: yeah I, I i hear you because i feel like uh you know, I think people misunderstand the uh, the power of businesses. I mean, even even aside, like once you, as a person of color, realize that there's a a totally different game that it was never taught to you, like it was never given to you. This 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 was not this was not a matter of a like you were not supposed to be in this in the first place. And when you get that sense, and you're like, wait a minute, like this is. This is a different type of freedom right there. And it's, and you know, we could, like you said, you can all, you know, you could say we want reparations, which I think we, everybody that went to or was part of that or, or is uh, affiliated with some part reparations should be given to, uh, or in some type of way, whether it's education, land, I don't know. It doesn't have to be money. It has to be something that you could get it. But also when you say reparations to yourself, like you have the ability and the power to, get a different generation to have that economical freedom to have that economical equality just by doing things that will benefit them or benefit yourself instead of benefiting somebody else especially when you benefit a system that doesn't that doesn't wasn't made for for you it, it adapted to you but that doesn't mean it was made for you so I think that's a that's a very strong thing that you said and and hopefully people can take that out of this so that you had like, that you had like regular jobs and things like that. And, and like, it, it was, there something that you had that kind of eliminated to say like, okay, screw this.
1: Uh, can you still hear me?
0: Uh, yeah, I can hear you. There's a, there's a bit of a delay, but it's okay.
1: No problem, my friend. Well, so growing up, I grew up in agriculture. My dad was a woodlot manager. Um, he, was, he had Christmas trees, still does Christmas trees. We do Christmas trees. So my dad was always about land, land ownership. Land is power. Land is wealth. Um, that coupled with Marcus Garvey, red, black, and green, you know, blood of the people of the land. I, my dad was always preaching land. He was always preaching have land and use the land. Have the land and use it. If you have water on the land, use the water on the land to water your vegetables, to water your animals, because they can come and take your land. But if you're using it and you're using it productively, they're less likely to come and take your land. So from my father's perspective, it was always pushing the, uh, the uh, land ownership and the uh, self-administered reparations that way in order to uh, take care of yourself. Now, in the Claude Anderson vein, when we understand racism, <laughs> racism being that race, literally a race, for, for people for land wealth resource and power there was a literal race between you know uh, either Spanish and, and English or or, or, or Christian or going around the world and they were racing for land wealth resource power business and opportunity and racism gave them almost hundred percent of that land wealth resource and power. so to fight racism, we have to get some of that land wealth resource and power back so, Fighting racism is entrepreneurship. Fighting racism is uh, uh, acquiring land. Um, Fighting racism is acquiring resource and using that so the dollar circulates around in the community so that a community and a cultural culture can grow. So entrepreneurship is fighting racism.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, how you say that, it it is very, very true, because I see a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of activists and a lot of people that have dedicated their fine to, to you know, to fight the system. And, you know, it's easy to criticize, some people criticize that, but the amount of time and the fact that there's a lot of change needs to be done, that's a full-time job right there, just trying to make a change that, you know, and a lot of people don't understand that uh, the change for color people it's not even a hundred years old. like like people of color in North America haven't had complete freedom, not even for a hundred years. And in order to to live like we live, it took hundreds of people fighting this in order for us to get the benefits of it. And some people are fighting this right now and and they're, you know, that's why I say it's support, I think I, I support as much causes as I can that I believe in just because of the feeling that I feel like, my kids might benefit from this or my grandkids might benefit from this so that that is an entrepreneur because somebody had to think about it and somebody had to had to figure out what to do with this like if you look at black lives matter or things like that like that is something that somebody had to think about in order for it to happen and now you know has there been changes somewhat but we may get more changes like the death of george floyd like changed a whole bunch of things but it took people to to do that. Like it took people, it took resources to do that. So I, I think I, I agree with you 100 of that entrepreneurial side. When you see activism, that I think it's a part that people don't don't see it as entrepreneurship, but it really is. It it really is an entrepreneurship type of way.
1: I see we're disconnected a lot a lot of times in the the benefits of the protesters and the protesters themselves. <clears throat> I guess what I what I see a lot of the time is. The people who protest aren't usually, it doesn't appear to be that they're the ones who reap the benefit of all the protests. Like, if I'm looking back at all the people who protested, so you know, for, for going to school for higher education to be getting be in the law field, you know, the med- medicine field, um, were the people who are now those lawyers and doctors, would they have been out there protesting? I don't know. But a lot of times I see it as, you know, we, we have to respect those protesters who are willing to get a little more wild so that those who will benefit from it can benefit from it and we have to realize that we're all in the same camp and uh as one helps the other one to grow then the other one can help the other one with the education and come up out of the resource so maybe it's a little cleaner and smoother for all of us to be in but shout out to all the protesters out there who change stuff for the people who aren't out there protesting (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's right. Shout out to them. So, man, I mean, I could talk with you for hours, but I know like we we had a good conversation in in the backseat. So and I think it was really productive and hopefully we can talk more about that in the future. So uh, talk to you about the the current business that you have, the Black Rose Nation. Uh, I think it was really interesting what you guys are doing right now.
1: All right. Yeah. So a long time on the name, the Black Rose Nation Holistic Sunshine Management. Black Rose coming from the uh, last poet's uh, poem at the end of Mind Sex, the song on the Dead Prez album, the Black Rose uh, representing the black woman and my queen, and then of course Holistic Sunshine Management is to take into understanding that for us as a people to grow and to be better, for anybody out there as the a people to grow and be better, for the world to grow and to be better for our forest to grow and be better, for our water to grow and be better and healthier. Um, we need to live in a holistic sense. Um, and everything we do should be reflecting that. You know, It's not just the black power, black struggle, black fight, the black excellence in the area of, of racism. I mean, I'm black when I'm holistically at my job farming, because that farming, I'm interacting with the sun, that sun is interacting with my melanin. So when I'm out there and I realize that I'm black, so I don't want my sunscreen on, so I want that melanin and then then that sun connecting with me, that's part of my holistic sunshine management. Now, when we're playing in the dirt, we're actually touching the dirt where we get those electric, electric magnetic impulses from that feed our body, that feed our mind and feed our soul so we can think better. So, our immune systems can work better, so we can hear better, hear the people who we're talking with, who we need to learn from, so we can see better, see the problems we're with. So, our business is farming. We have Christmas trees and blueberries, but that's being outside and feeding our, our, our breathing and, f- and feeding our, our health and our minds. We're in the property management where we work with 1,700 rhododendrons uh, intermixed with inside of nature and coming out in the edge of fields and just allowing that space to flow freely. So when people go and experience the garden as you walk through holistically, you're smelling it, you're seeing it, you're hearing the birds as feeding your culture. Uh, We're working on the nature trails here on our property in order to walk through. So you'll be able to go through specific black history points that have happened here on the Kingston Peninsula in New Brunswick in the larger diaspora. So, the Black Rose Nation holistic sunshine management is all aspects of culture, floriculture, silviculture, agriculture, and human culture, how they work together harmoniously for communities. So, we like to think we're building Canada and building a better world, building a family, and the intent is uh, sunshine holistically. <laughs> so, oh, that, that, that's, that's super we- cool. <laughs> it's everything. See? See, it's It's the wording. Holistic sunshine management. So, what isn't it? And once you realize that, Lauren Hill said, "Everything is everything." With these perspectives, it, it allows a philosophy of life. Really.
0: No, oh, I mean that that that's that's definitely something that you're right. Everything is everything. That shout out to Lauren Hill. One of my favorite albums, right there.
1: No, so,
0: 100%. what have you no. learned as an entrepreneur? What What's your biggest lesson that you have learned so far?
1: Uh you've like it's you know, it's the cliches is um work never stops when the work stops. There's always studying and learning and looking up and trying to be better and understand your finances better, understand your credit card uh percentages better, understand uh, you know, uh how many uh, uh swipes you get better, um, how much you can use when you go to the restaurant in terms of tax rebates better, what incentives there are coming up for the coming year from the government for small businesses. So the entrepreneurial mindset is, is one where you've you got to be hungry in mind. You've you got to be hungry after the new information to make it smooth. There's always something to learn. So, you know, you're, you're never the expert or like you say, you're never the, the, the guru. You're always learning. But the, the fun part is to learn something and have a group of people who you can pass what you learned on to and, and see them benefit and learn. And then you have someone to look to so you can learn some new things to implement in your life. So the entrepreneurial mindset is learn from those above you and pass it to those behind you.
0: That, that's a fact. So I have one last question for you. Uh, for you, what does it mean to be Black in the Maritimes?
1: <laughs> to me, being Black in the Maritimes at this stage of my life is powerful, strong, excellent, proud, motivated, loving it and, and and loving the representation getting to this point was scary alone frightful sad you know you'd hear those things that you, you would hear at a party and you'd be the only one in the corner cowering to yourself a little bit feeling rate hurt but not knowing if anybody else even gets it so lonely and you know as much as the facades we put on our face a lot of the time, sometimes it's really a hard, lonely and sad, but you know, keep on, keep keeping on get your autobiography of Malcolm X, pay attention to some of your elders, watch black in the Maritimes, take the book advice and do some reading. And trust me, um, putting in the work is worth it. And when you come out on top stronger, you'll look forward to raising your kids as well as the neighbor kids so that we all can flourish even better.
0: Wow, that, that's amazing. So, if people want to find you, where do they find you at?
1: Um, the Black Rose Nation. I suggest you go to YouTube and do the Black Rose Nation. You'll find a whole bunch of videos we do there um, every Black History Month, one a day, a few other peppered out. Um, Black Rose Nation, Facebook, um, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Um, Twitter, not so much. I mean, I go on there once in a while. But just type the Black Rose Nation in everywhere and you're going to find us in our face. Uh, one to look for on youtube we did do an event in one of the gardens we had where we had black um i wouldn't do it lyrics in the garden where we got a bunch of black folks to submit songs that they felt were quintessential to the experience of being black and what you'd want to pass on to future generations we printed printed off the lyrics then we listened to all those songs in the garden while reading the lyrics and then broke bread afterwards so uh yeah. So, what it, what it means to be black, I guess, in Canada and New Brunswick, lyrics in the garden. Go check out that playlist and see what local folks say makes us us.
0: Amazing. So, Babalu, I knew Uh I mean, it's a great conversation talking to you, man. I, I appreciate you being on this podcast. I, I, I learned a lot from you. So, keep on doing what you're doing. And, and it's amazing, man.
1: Yes, you too, Fidel. I've been watching you guys since back in the day, maybe even on SoundCloud. When I first heard Black in the Maritimes, I'm like, who are these guys? Yo, so yo, I love the growth that you guys have all been doing and representing. And I this is a new day in the Maritimes for black folks and in Canada and the world, you know. So salute to you guys. Thanks for putting it out there. And until next time, peace to the fam.
0: Yeah. So uh, if anybody wants to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you get your podcast. Uh, Find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Black in the Maritime. Peace out. Peace.